Okay, uh, good evening everybody. It's uh, nice to see you on Slichos uh, night, which means we are uh, only one week from Rosh Hashanah. Um, you probably noticed that, you know, um, most years, actually on Leil Slichos, we have, over the past number of years, we have a Kumzitz uh, usually, and uh, usually I say a few words here or there just to kind of get us um, in the right frame of mind as we're getting closer to Rosh Hashanah. Um, certainly this year is not like other years, as we've talked about many times already um, recently. And I thought that we could use a little more significant preparation uh, before we come into shul for many of us on, uh, on Rosh Hashanah, for those of us who are going to be an outdoor minion, and for those of us who will be davening at home. Um, that all of us could use a, uh, a little hachana, a little preparation as we get ready for Rosh Hashanah. Um, because I think that, um, I think probably every year as we get ready for Rosh Hashanah, as Elo shows up, so Elo comes and we, yeah, I know Rosh Hashanah is coming and we don't really think about it much until we get closer. And then even as we get closer, uh, maybe, maybe Slichos night we start to realize, and maybe Arab Rosh Hashanah we realize. But finally we sit down in Shul on Rosh Hashanah, and okay, so we're ready to get going a little bit. But, but this year, um, with all that's gone on, I think that um, one thing, and we've spoken a lot about uh, the challenges, that, the practical challenges, the emotional challenges that this past six months have brought. But I think one, one challenge that we haven't spoken about all that much um, maybe because I didn't want to be negative or we don't want, we don't want to be negative and don't worry, we're not going to be negative time, we're going to be positive and uplifting. But is that this time has brought a, a real religious challenge to many of us. Um, the being far from each other, being out of shul, being away from our usual routines, not just our usual work routines or school routines or whatever other routines that we have that, that have, have been knocked off. For many of us, I know there are some of us who say our, my davening has been better than ever and that's amazing and that's amazing if that's happened for you. But for a lot of us, that's not the case. For a lot of us, the experience of the past six months has on the one hand provided certain opportunities and, 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 and that's been, you know, there's been positives. But I think we have to be honest that it, for many of us, it's, many of us are feeling disaffected, we're feeling far away, we're feeling exhausted um, physically and emotionally. And to be honest, maybe I'll say it myself, we feel like it's not really our fault. After all, this is, this is God's fault, right? Um, and the question I think that we have to ask ourselves is, or maybe that we, that we ask ourselves at this time is, what exactly does God want from us anyways? Right? He, he created this totally out-of-this-world situation that we can never have imagined in our whole lives and then he says, okay, now it's Rosh Hashanah, come to tshuva. And we're like, huh, tshuva? I didn't send myself far away, you sent me far away. And the question is, how do we, how do we, how do we deal with that? What do we do with that feeling? And uh, if you don't have that feeling, that's great. I have that feeling a little bit. Um, but what do we do with that? Whether I feel that, that strong, or maybe just feel, maybe I don't feel that angry with God about it, but I feel just far away. How do I come to Rosh Hashanah when I'm supposed to connect 
These are very, very important days, Rosh Hashanah. If you would know Rosh Hashanah, last year, what was coming our way, how you would have thought about it and, and, and utilized Rosh Hashanah maybe, right? They're important days. And how do we get ourselves ready and prepared for these very important days? So what I want to do tonight is share with you three ideas, three thoughts that I think can help us in the process of reconnecting, reconnecting with who we want to be, reconnecting with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, and uh, help us find some motivation. Because in the end, we have to motivate ourselves, right? But to find that, that spot, that place for motivation so that we can get ourselves ready to go. The first idea comes from the Kriya Satora that we read on the very first day of Rosh Hashanah. The very first day of Rosh Hashanah, we read the story of Hagar. And Hagar, as we know, is the maidservant of, of, uh, of Sarah. Uh, when Sarah can't have a child, she gives Hagar to Avram, and together they have a child. And then after Yitzchak is born, Sarah's not happy with how Yishmael, that, that, that first son, is interacting with Yitzchak, and she says, get, get rid of her, get rid of Hagar, get rid of Yishmael, get them out of the house. And Avram's very hesitant, after all, this is his son. And Hashem says, no, you have to listen. You have to listen, you have to kick him out of the house. And very, uh, with a lot of hesitation, Avram listens, and he kicks Hagar and Yishmael, he sends them on their way. And we know the story that as they go and they're traveling through the desert, they, lo- they lose their way, they run out of water, they run out of food. Yishmael is about to die. And Hagar s- starts to cry. She throws him to the side. She says, I can't see it. I can't see this. And she starts to cry. And what happens? Hashem hears the cries and sends a malach. And the malach comes and he says to Hagar, don't worry. Hashem has heard you. Come, pick up the boy, bring him. He's going to be okay. And the language of the Torah here is fascinating. Hashem opens up her eyes. And she sees a well of water. And she goes and she fills up her jug with water. And she feeds the child. And everything is good. And the Medrash pounces on this language, and Hashem opens her eyes. Hagar didn't have her eyes open. Hagar couldn't see. Hagar could see. So what does it mean Hashem opens her eyes and then she saw the Be'er Mayim? Says the Medrash, a very strong language, everybody, all of us, are people who have trouble with sight. We're not able to see. Unless, until HaKadosh opens our eyes. That even those of us who are able to see, we have the, the, the Baruch Hashem, we're, we're blessed with, the, with the, the Koach, the ability to see with sight. We're not really able to see unless Hashem opens our eyes. And Rav Mordechai Druch in his Sefer Josh Mordechai points out, and he quotes the Svas who argues that it's true of us all the time throughout history, that we think we know what's happening and we find ourselves searching for answers in whatever difficult situation that we're in. 
And sometimes we need to just open our eyes and realize that the solution to our problems is not over there. It's not over there. It's not from somebody else. But if we would just open our eyes, we'd realize it's right in front of us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not create a new Be'er. Hashem did not, the Torah doesn't say that Hashem created with a nace a Be'er Mayim. A well of water. Rather, the well was there the whole time. She just couldn't see. And this idea is driven home by a beautiful idea by the, the, that's said by the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov talks about the, the actual, it's the Haftorah of this Parsha, Parsha's Vayera. And in, when you read it in the normal year, so the, the Haftorah is a story of Malachim Beis. And the story of Malachim Beis is a story of a woman who comes to Elisha the Navi. Elisha was a student of Eliyahu Navi. And she comes to Elisha and she's distraught. Her husband has passed away. And she says to him, my, my, my husband was one of the Bnei Nevi'im. He was one of the, the, the students of the Nevi'im, of prophets. And he passes away and I have no money. And I have all these debts. And the, the, the debt collectors are coming for my children because I have nothing. So that's a, it. she comes to Alicia. What's, what should I do? She's looking for some type of miracle. Do something for me. Help me. And Alicia turns to her. Alicia, Alicia says to her, What should I do for you? Hagidili, he says, tell me. What do you have in your house? She says, what do I have in my house? I came to you. To help me. What do I have in my house? He says, yeah, what do you have in your house? She says, I have nothing in my house. Key, except for one thing. I have one flask of oil. That's what I have in my house. Alicia says, great. You have that? Take that, he says. And roll around to your neighbors, he says, and get as many vessels as you can. Take as many pots and pans and bowls and whatever you can find. And he tells her to start pouring the oil into the, the oil into these pots. And as long as you have something to pour it into, it'll keep going. And it's a big nace for her. And she keeps pouring and pouring and pouring. And it's all this oil. And she has enough money to pay off all of her debts. It's a, tr- a tremendous miracle. And the Baal Shem Tov says that Elisha was teaching us a tremendous Muslim. The woman comes to Alicia, Alicia, help me do something for me. I'm stuck. I have nothing. I'm distraught. My life is, is terrible. I need you to help me. Because I have nothing. Alicia says, really, you have nothing? You don't have nothing, he says. Ma, he doesn't say to her, do you have anything in your house? He says to her, tell me what you have in your house. Because you definitely have something. The first message I want to convey to all of us tonight is that we feel a lot of times like we have nothing left. Like we need to look around. This has been so hard. I'm so like just, I'm, I'm done. I'm so tired. I don't have anything in the tank. Somebody else provide something for me, please, because I have nothing. And the answer is, that's the wrong place to start. We don't have nothing. We all have something. Ma yesh lach babayas. 
We have to ask ourselves. What do we have? What do we have? We all have something. There's something, we, first of all, we all have brachos with as many tsaras as we've had, and some people have had tremendous tsaras. We all have something, it's our family, it's our spouse, it's our children, it's our parents, it's our job, it's our something. We have, we have abilities. We all have something in our life that's positive and that can help us propel us, help prepare us forward. And we all have inside of us the koach to move forward. And we should never say that we don't have, it's not, I can't. Because the question that's always going to be turned back on us is, what do you have in that house? What do you have? Because you have something. That's number one. Idea number two. And this idea actually also comes from Baal Shemza. I became a chassid during coronavirus, if you didn't know. Um, this is a Gemara that, that we've learned together a lot of times. A lot of times. This is not a Rosh Hashanah Gemara, but it's, it is a Rosh Hashanah Gemara. We know that when the Jewish people get the Torah at Sinai, that, that the, the, Gemara, the Torah says, they sat at the base of the mountain. And the Gemara in Shabbos tells us, what does it mean you stood at the base of the mountain? It's a very funny, but literally means they stood under the mountain. So it says the Gemara, a Gemara many of us may know, that Hashem lifted the mountain over our heads, kigigis, like a barrel, and said, if you accept the Torah, great. If not, Sham I'm dropping the mountain on your heads and you're going to die. You're finished. Accept the Torah or I'm done with you. Meaning that God forced us. He forced us. So the Baal Shem Tov writes, and this is quoted in the Sefer, Baal Shem Tov Torah, written by his students. What does this come to teach me? L'lameid, it comes to teach us. Shagam she'eno choshek Torah. That there may be times when a person is not interested in Torah. And this is a chassid talking. The chassidim are, right, can always some, find some positivity. Chassidim, that's, their, that's what we need. That's why the chassidim are so important for us as Jews. Always, always something positive, always an opening, always a light, always a something says about Shem Tov, sometimes there isn't. Sometimes I just feel negative. Sometimes it's just hard. Maybe I don't feel it. I don't want, I'm not interested. I'm not. It doesn't matter. You can't give it up. You're not allowed. Recognize and realize that you don't really have a choice. Remind yourself that you have to follow through anyways, whether you like it or not. Not a very Hasidic concept. And says the Baal Shem Tov, and this is where it gets more Hasidish. This is good advice, he says, for a person when they're going through the small days. The Baal Shem Tov writes in numerous places about what he calls Yemei Katnus, and you may godless. Days when I feel very small and day where I, days where I feel very big. Sometimes we feel inspired and we're just on. It's working. I'm learning and I'm davening and I'm doing chesed and I'm just involved in Avodah Hashem is great and I love Torah and I love mitzvahs and being a Jew is amazing and the state of Israel. It's, it's just, it's, it's gewaldic. It feels great. And we get those days, Baruch Hashem. And then we have what's called Yemei Katnas, days that are harder. 
we mentioned, if, you remember, if anyone remembers, when we talked to Lund Revolbi in the, in the summer a little bit. So he talked about similar concepts, you know, the, about these, uh, these t- types of days. You may ava and you may sin. Days when we love Torah mitzvahs and days when we just kind of can't stand it. And says the Baal Shem Tov, when I'm feeling, you may have caught this, I'm feeling in those, those days that are just hard. Don't give up what you do, even in those hard times. Even when you're having a hard time, even when you're not feeling it. Don't give it up. Keep it going. Keep the schedule. Keep what you do. Do it anyways. Do it anyways. Every lamb, so we know we lost every lamb this year, every lamb, and when a beautiful Jerusha quotes his Baal Shem Tov, and he says a beautiful line. Every lamb says, there's no greater pleasure, says the Baal Shem Tov, than davening or studying during Torah, studying Torah during the Yemei HaGadlus. There's nothing greater than being involved in the Vodos Hashem when I'm feeling good about it, when we feel fully inspired. But there's no greater reward, he continues, for practicing the discipline of oneself that results in observing and studying and practicing Jewishness during the Yemei HaKadlus. It's a beautiful story that's told about a, a town, a town that was, that was off, you know, some place that no one ever went to. No one ever visited this town. It was off in the corner. No one ever knew that place and no one came to visit that place. But it was a place that had some people who lived there. And at some point, the people in the town realized that their watches weren't synchronized. They couldn't. They, my watch says 5, your watch says 5.30, your watch is 5.45. And they realized that all the watches in the town were off. Nobody could tell what time it was. And they knew for sure that they couldn't figure out the right time. So everybody took their watches and they said, who needs them? And they put them on the shelf. You might remember, pausing the story, there used to be a thing, watches in the old days, right? You used to have to wind them, right? You used to have to wind them. I, one of the first watches I ever had as a kid, you had to wind it, right? Every, you had to wind it and then it, right? And if, it does, if you don't wind it, what happens? It doesn't work. There's no, right? There's no battery, right? Just, you have to wind it or if it doesn't work, okay? So what happens? So in this town, everybody, they took their watch, they put them on the shelf, they said, what the good are they? We don't know what time it is anyways. And there was one guy who said, you know what? I'm going to wind my watch every day anyways. Why not? What do I have to lose? And everyone laughed at him. What are you winding your watch for? It doesn't even work. 8.37? It's not 8.37. You know what time it is. What are you winding your watch for? And one day, a visitor came to town. And they said, everyone got so excited. You know, and they were excited anyways. When the vision would come, it almost never happened. And they're talking to the guy. And they're asking what's, what's happening in the world. And he's telling them, etc. And someone says, wait a second. Sir, what time is it? Can you tell us what time it is? We've been waiting for, for months to know what time it is. He said, sure. It's 5.31. He said, amazing. And they all run home and they grab their watches. And they go to set their watches and what do they realize? They can't set the watch. Because they all rusted up. Because they stopped winding them. Except for this one guy who every day wound his useless watch. 
which on that day was no longer useless. And also we feel like we don't have the koach for a meaningful Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But if we keep winding the watch, you never know when you might get hit with somebody who tells you the right time. And then it'll be very, very useful. If Tzadok HaKon of Lublin writes that we say in the Shema, what should you do with them? You should take my words, says Hashem, and put them on your heart. What a funny thing to say. What do you mean the, heart, the words on your heart? And says with Tzadok, I'll tell you exactly what it means. Because sometimes our hearts are like stone and they can't take anything in. Sometimes our hearts are just shut. And we're not ready. We're not, we're not, it's, our heart is not available to take any ideas or any concepts or any beautiful Torah and bring it into our neshama. We're just not ready for it. So the Torah tells you know what we should do? Take all the beautiful Torah and all the beautiful ideas and all the beautiful concepts and the experiences and place them right here, Allah Vavecha. Why? So that when your heart softens up a little, you feel a little inspired, what's going to happen? The ideas can seep right in. It's the times that we don't feel as connected, the times when we can't feel that are the most important times to keep moving and keep doing and stick with our schedule and stick with the things that we know are good for us, even though they don't feel so good right now. Because if we wind that watch, eventually we'll find the time. If we take the ideas and place them place them on our hearts, then in due time, they're going to start to seep in. Message number two is that it's hard to get ourselves motivated when we feel disaffected or distant or disconnected. But if we're able to get ourselves moving now, before Rosh Hashanah, we'll be ready when the inspiration does finally hit. And it will. I want to share with you one more idea. This last idea I heard from Rabbi Nachum Penner. Rabbi Penner, as you know, is the dean of Ritz, the rabbinical school at Yeshiva University. And Rabbi Penner pointed out something that I, I never thought about before. I'm going to take you back to Hagar for a minute, okay? But not just Hagar, but actually the two stories that we read, the two mornings of Rosh Hashanah. We read two stories that are very different, if you ever think about it, but they're very similar. The story of Hagar and Ishmael, and the story of Avram and Yitzchak, the story of the Akedah. Because if you think about them, they're actually incredibly similar. Both stories have a parent taking a journey with their child. Hagar with Ishmael, Avram with Yitzchak. Both stories, the journey goes into the wilderness. Hagar goes out, far away, Avram and Yitzchak, a three-day journey. In both situations, the child almost dies. Ishmael is about to die, Yitzhak will die if not for intervention. In both stories, a malach shows up and intervenes before the child dies. In each story, the eyes of the parent are opened. Hagar's eyes are opened to the bear, Avram's eyes are opened to the isle, to the ram that's caught in the thicket. And in each story, the child is blessed to be, 
the progenitor of a great nation. It's actually astonishing if you think about it. They're the same story, except the stories are dramatically different. One is the story of the greatness of our greatest leaders, our fathers, Avim and Yitzchak, a story that we will use for the rest of our, of our history because of the sacrifice that Avim and Yitzchak were willing to make. The other is a story of a, 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 sad, a sad story about somebody who you know, isn't really there for a child but then gets saved because God wants them to get saved. It doesn't reflect so positively on Hagar. What's the difference between the two stories? So I'll tell you the difference. When Avim is told, Lech Lecha, go, who's telling him to go? He knows. God is telling him to go. He cannot, for the life of him, fathom why God wants him to go. Why would you want me to take this child who you told me is the future of our people and, and murder him? I stand up against all this of Zara, uh, and this is what you want me to do? Child sacrifice? Human sacrifice? He can't fathom it. It is so difficult and so painful for him. The Midrashim, which we've spoken about over, over a number of years, point out that Avram had a trouble with this, with this commandment. But he does it anyways. But the entire time he knows that he's doing it because the Kaddish Baruch Hu has commanded him and he's watching him and waiting to see what he's going to do. Hagar is also distraught. She can't understand what's happened. Why was I kicked out of the house? I didn't even do anything. What's happened to me? Why is this happening to me? Why has God kicked me out? Why? why, why? If you remember, if you know the Medrash, Hagar comes also from amazing lineage. She's the, the princess of Egypt. And she comes to be with Avram Avinu. And she's kicked out of the house. But what's Hagar's mindset? I guess God doesn't want me. And he's still focused on Avraham's house. The entire time that Hagar is going through this entire story, what does she think? She thinks that God has abandoned her and God isn't watching. The spotlight is on Avram and Yitzchak and Sarah and I'm gone. God's not interested in me. When of course we know that God is. In fact, we read her story 3,000 years later. Every single Rosh Hashanah. You think she would, the spotlight isn't on Hagar? It is squarely on Hagar. And yet the entire time she thinks the whole thing's a mistake. This isn't how it was supposed to be. Why has God done this to me? I'm finished. And that's how she responds. Forget it. She throws the child to the side. I, I can't. I'm done. The difference between the two experiences of Avram and Hagar, in a nutshell is that Avram's journey has meaning because he realizes that God has placed him in this place. Hagar doesn't realize that her experience has any meaning because she thinks it's all a mistake. There's no way that God put me in this place. I guess God doesn't want me. I'm not supposed to be here. This whole thing is wrong. If only she would have realized that God was watching her that she was the star of the show. The Medrash tells us about Reuven, who has a similar experience. Reuven, as we know, intends 
to save Yosef from the brothers. The brothers are sitting and they're gonna they take Yosef and throw him in the pit and they're gonna sell him. And, Yo- and, and, and Yosef and Reuben says, No, 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 don't don't kill him. Let's sorry. He says, Don't kill him, put him in the pit. And he has in mind to save his life. And the Torah says about him, he saves him. And what actually happens? Reuben doesn't save him. Why not? He's too nervous. So what does he do? He puts him in the pit. He goes to help his father. He's going to come back later in the dark of night and take Yosef out. And by the time he comes back, Yosef is gone. Says the Medrash, Ilu If Reuben would have only known that God was watching him, and that we would read about him for generations. That Reuben wanted to save him. He would have put him on his shoulders and taken him home. The tragedy of Hagar is that instead of realizing or that Hagar believes that all that's happening to her is a terrible mistake. This isn't how it was supposed to be. This isn't how my life is supposed to be, be, be working out. And she's angry about it and she's frustrated and she doesn't know what to do anymore so she gives up. And both say, we feel, many of us, over the past six months, that the past six months has been one big mistake. It's, this isn't how it's supposed to be. I'm not supposed to have to be home for Rosh Hashanah. I wasn't supposed to spend a Seder without my children or my grandchildren. I shouldn't have to wear a mask everywhere I go and not be able to see anybody or talk to anybody. I, my kids should be able to go to school like normal. And what, what, what is happening in the world? And because it feels like one big giant mistake, we can't find any meaning. Because how would that be? This is wrong. This is not where I'm supposed to be. This is not what life is supposed to look like. The lesson of Hagar, and maybe the lesson that Avram teaches us different from Hagar, is that if we realize that where we are is never a mistake, where we are is always exactly where HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to be. Then our whole mind would change. Our whole the way you view the world would be different. And we get ready to get to work. I'm going to read to you something that Rabbi Penner himself wrote about his own life. Rabbi Penner um, has a a beautiful son, his name is Matis. Matis has very uh, significant autism. He's a very exuberant, positive young man. And, and Matis um, makes a lot of noise. I've been met, very apparent, brings him very often to yeshiva. And he comes for concerts and for shiurim and comes and he's, he's a, a very labidic kid. And v- I mean very labidic. And Rabbi Penner wrote as follows. And Rabbi Penner... Um, before becoming the Dean of Reeds, was the rabbi in the Yeshiva of Halaswood for 19 years. And he writes as follows. Matis does his best to stay quiet in shul. But there are certainly times when he's making noise during davening. In my own shul, it's just a few short steps from the main shul to the Beit Midrash, 
on the side. And it's not uncommon that during Shemona Esrei, Matis will have a lot to say out loud. And I'll need to bring him over in the middle of Shemona Esrei to the base Medrash. It's very strange to be davening, especially as the rabbi of a shul, not with the tzibur. But next door, in a room by yourself, holding on to your son's hand. It took me a while to realize that when I left that room, the spotlight actually followed me into the Beit Midrash. It was easy to understand and to think that the spotlight was only in the main shul where everybody else was, where the minion was. But I came to understand that as I stood there in Davinish Mona Esrei, just me and my son before God, that that spotlight was on me too. And that there, that was where God wanted me to be. You see, it's not God who struggles to see the meaning in the more mundane parts of our lives. The seeming distractions, the detours, the parts that we think are all a mistake. It is we who miss those opportunities for greatness. One of the greatest mistakes that we can make during this time is to believe that the whole thing has been one big mistake. Because it's not a mistake. It doesn't mean that it hasn't been tragic and devastating for so many individuals and so many families. But it's still not a mistake. In fact, who knows? Who knows if our entire lives we've been preparing for this bizarre situation to come out. And this is the time when we're supposed to step up and do something. And that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is waiting to see how we're going to respond specifically to this. I'm not here to tell you the, the answers to why this is happening. That would be ridiculous. But I know that's not a mistake. And it's so important to, to change our mindset about this time period. Because the moment we can stop looking over our shoulders and wishing that things would just go back to normal and instead begin to realize we're, we are exactly where Hashem wants us to be, that's the moment we can begin to make a plan of action for the coming year. And of course, this is a message only for this year. This is the truth all the time. For so many circumstances that we find ourselves in. So many realities of our lives that we wish we could change, we wish we could fix, but are what they are. It doesn't make them less difficult. It doesn't make them less of an extraordinary challenge. But if we can begin the process, and it's a difficult one, of beginning to accept the reality of where we are, then we'll be virtually impotent, then we'll be able to maybe get ourselves unstuck and to start moving forward. These are the three things that I think we need to take with us as we prepare for Rosh Hashanah this year. Number one, to remember Yesh Lanu Babayas. We are not empty. 
We have so much inside of ourselves, each and every one of us. We have so many kochos, so many abilities. The potential that, we, that is dormant inside each and every one of us is extraordinary. We just have to open our eyes to what we have in that house. Number two, we have to keep winding the watch. Even when we feel uninspired, there's so much value in keeping and staying the course. Day in and day out, keeping our schedule, getting back on a schedule if we've been off a schedule. Thankfully, in our real life, the watch doesn't rust. If we haven't been winding it, we can start winding it right now, tonight. Keep the Torah Allah Vavecha so that when, the, when our lathe becomes ready, the Torah can seep in. And number three, to remember that this isn't a mistake. That if Rebun Hashem placed us somewhere, He placed us here at this time in this place, this is exactly where He wants us to be because He's got some plan for us. And it's up to us to figure out what it is. On both sides, this is an extraordinarily challenging time. And it's a challenging time for you approaching Rosh Hashanah. It's, a, it's very challenging for me, if I'm being honest with you. I'm having a hard time getting ready for Rosh Hashanah. I know I'm supposed to get ready to inspire other people, but it's hard. It's hard. But I think the more we can remind ourselves that we're more ready than maybe we've ever been, then we have an opportunity as we walk into Rosh Hashanah six nights from today, six, I think six nights from tonight, to walk in and to be ready to get going for what Mirza Hashem will be an incredible year. A year where we, we're going to do more and be more prepared and be more committed and more inspired maybe than any year before. I wish everyone in this room, in our virtual room, Hatzlacha, as you get ready, I wish all of your families, everyone should be healthy and safe and well, and we should also be able to grow and be inspired and come close to Kodesh Baruch Hu Hashem. Wishing everyone so much Hatzlacha this week and looking forward to seeing everybody very soon. Have a wonderful night. Thank you. Thank you.